You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Um, uh, but this break has just been really good for me. The Lord's been speaking to me, been um, just comforting my heart. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your concern. Um, you know, m- many of you guys understand the reason why I took this break and, and what I felt like the Lord was saying to me. And, and really what it boils down to in a nutshell is this, is that God really needed to bring me to a place of dependency upon him. See, because there's things that, we, that happen in our life, and sometimes we don't realize it. And that's, that's kind of when things kind of start to go, go batty, isn't it? Like, get a little wonky for us, is that it's not when we consciously make these decisions to, to disobey God or consciously make these decisions to not rely on his authority, but when we subtly do, when we don't realize it. And so these things layered on me, and it just kind of hit me at once. And, and the Lord had to bring a little bit of correction, if I'm honest, as your, as your pastor. Uh, I want to I maintain that level of honesty with you. And, and a little bit of healing to my heart. And so that's really important. And so it manifests in some physical things, and um, the Lord really began to deal with that. And so uh, thank you for allowing me to do that. But see, this is the sovereignty of God that's so good is that in this position, what happened was this, is that we opened the door to let people come and minister that ministered on the most needful things. So having Kristen come in and having Pastor Ken come in and having Pastor Travis come in and having Marla speak and having Justin speak and having Ronnie speak, having Spud speak, all these things, they, they, they hit on something specific within the church that we needed to hear from the Lord. And so God's timing is so perfect and so good. And so God is sovereign even in the midst of these. But today what I want to do is I want to get into a, a series and just really be obedient to what the Lord is saying. And, and there may be some ministry time here and maybe in the middle, maybe at the end, we'll just be obedient to the Holy Spirit about um, in the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at today in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at just a portion of Ephesians 1 um, 15 through 23. So go ahead and open up your Bibles there. And so in Ephesians, what happens here, in a little bit of context is this, is that, is that the Holy Spirit begins to speak to Paul to write a letter. And really, it's a letter to almost a couple of churches in Asia, but winds up going to Ephesus. Its main concentration is in Ephesus. But here's the important thing. Unlike a lot of Paul's other letters, this really isn't confronting any major issue that the church is facing. So there's not necessarily something negative that Paul is addressing here with, in the book of Ephesians, as opposed to Corinthians, first to second Corinthians, Galatians, even Philippians, Romans, all these other books. There's something that Paul has to deal with that exists in the church. But actually, Ephesians is different, and it's really quite exciting. And it's also why there are several prayers that Paul prays. In essence, the Holy Spirit prays for us that we need to pay attention to because the main emphasis of Ephesians is this, is that Jesus has overcome. Jesus has overcome, and he he showed that through the resurrection. Now, this is why this is important for us to understand Is because the resurrection didn't just mean that Jesus Christ overcame death, hell, and the grave. That is a big part of it. That is a huge part of that. 
But what the resurrection also points to is this, is the resurrection points to this truth. And, and Ephesians talks about this, that when Jesus Christ ascended, he basically gave, he created his, the body of Christ, which is the church. And in the church, he sat his gifts, and these gifts are made manifest to prove the power of the resurrection on the earth today. That means this, that when we come to church, as we call it, we need to begin to take our eyes off of maybe any kind of structural thing we think or organizational thing that we think, and we need to fix our eyes upon the Holy Spirit. Here's why. is because there are gifts that Jesus gave to you. I want you to say, to me, to me. Jesus gave me a gift. And this gift is important because this gift both testifies of the resurrection that Jesus has overcome, but is also used to equip and empower the body, the remainder of the church. So not only has Jesus given you a gift, but your gift is important to me. My gift is important to you. Our gifts testify of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to the world. And this is what Ephesians is all about. Now we're going to read in just a second this prayer that uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 1, but here's what I want you to also know, a little bit more context about this book, is that Paul actually wrote this during his first imprisonment. Paul was a prisoner. He was, he was in the clink. And Paul was in prison here. And he writes these words from a heart, not of somebody who is locked up in captivity, but somebody who is free in expressing the freedom of the resurrection in his own life and encouraging others to do that. I want you to keep that in mind. Because some of you today, you say, well, Pastor, look, I, 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 I'm going to hear the words that you're saying, but you don't know the situation of my life. You don't know what I'm walking through. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know what my family's like. You don't know what's coming down the pathway, the things that are in front of me that I'm afraid of. And I want to tell you this that one of the things that this letter shows us, and one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit chose to seek this in the canon of Scripture that we call the Bible, is this reason that in the midst of imprisonment, that Paul allowed the Holy Spirit to minister through him to us, to the church, to say there is nothing that the resurrection power, the knowledge of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ cannot defeat. It is greater than everything. All right. So let's look at this in Ephesians 1, 15. We're going to read 15 through 23. You can open your Bibles or it may be on the screen behind me or on your phone, whatever is convenient for you. It says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord of our, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Now I want to stop and I want to explain this. Here Paul is saying this. He's not saying that you, I want you to know Jesus as a friend. He's in essence saying this. I want you to know Jesus intimately. And how do we know that? Because there's a couple of words that we see here that we need to pay attention to to when we see and we read this word know, K-N-O-W, 
It talks about a knowledge that doesn't come here. It doesn't come through your head. It comes through your heart. Right? Jesus is connecting here. The Holy Spirit is wanting right now to connect to our hearts, to bring this revelation as a life-giving source in our spirit, in our heart. Verse 18, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So here again, we see this beautiful passage, the testimony of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And as, if you can get this picture in your mind's eye, as Jesus is being resurrected, as the Holy Spirit is ascending him into heaven, he is giving and creating his, in his body the church and dispensing gifts that testify of the power of the resurrection. So today we're going to look at just one of three things that God wants us to open our eyes to. These are truths that we have to have inside of us to walk in this resurrection power. This is what Paul prayed. This is what the Holy Spirit wants for us. This is the timely thing in this day that we have to be tuned into. And so here we see this. I'm going to read verse 18 again. I want you to pay attention to this. 18 and 19. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you might see, that this might wake up your spirit in order to know, listen, the hope that he has called you to. That's the first thing. The Holy Spirit wants to wake you up to this truth that when you were created, you were created with purpose. And that purpose is a calling. And that calling brings hope to you. There's nothing else in your life that will give you hope apart from the calling that you have been created with in Christ Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit's job to continually make that manifest. And in that place, it breaks off strongholds, it breaks off wrong thinking, it breaks off negative thoughts of who we are, and it brings us into the appropriate place of righteousness that we have been created to stand in. That's the first thing. So Paul's praying here and he says this, I want you to wake up. The Holy Spirit needs to wake you up. Wake up, you sleeper, and wake up to this truth, the hope to which you have been called to. That's one. And then the second thing, the riches of the glorious inheritance in his holy people. You know what that's talking about? That's talking about the relationship of the church. See, there's something beautiful about this that even though God has called you and he's placed a gift inside you that's irrevocable, meaning this, God does not repent of this. This chair is about to wipe out. It can't handle me. All right. I don't know which one of my kids won the bet, but here we go. All right. 
The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. All right? Come on, wake up. God isn't apologizing. He's not saying, he's not saying, hey, I'm sorry that I created you this way. Here's why. Because when he created you the way he created you, he also seeded in you the full resource of heaven to accomplish the thing he created in you to do. Some of you have wrong thinking because you stepped into a little bit of your ability inside the gift and the calling of God, and you're wrestling with it, and it's miserable to you. And all you need to do is let go and let the grace of the Holy Spirit begin to surround you, all right? But then he says this, that there is an inheritance in the holy people, meaning this, that there is a synergy that happens when a group of people called in Christ Jesus, seated in these irrevocable gifts, get together. And the crazy thing happens is that when they start to get into community, things get combustible. That's why the Bible says, have you ever, have we ever read, look, and sometimes we don't know where to place our faith at, and this is, this is tricky to me, I mean, and here's the, here's the short answer. Read your Bible. <clears throat> All right. Okay. Hold on. Don't, okay. So here's the thing. As it says, when two or three gather together in your name, you're there in your midst. Whatever we ask in your name, what you'll do, right? When we agree upon these things. Um, okay. Some of you go, okay, one, two, three. Let's go. All right. Join hands. All right. There's three of us. Let's go. The math is right. We're good to go, right? Count off. One, two, three. Let's go. But you don't know where to place your faith because here, here we see a truth, and this is why Paul, the Holy Spirit, is beating this into Paul, and, it, and he reinforces it through the entirety of the book of Ephesians, is because there is a synergy that happens when we come together because we're not anchoring off of our earnestness. See, God doesn't answer my prayers because I'm earnest. God answers my prayers because it fulfills the testimony. It is calling back to him the truth of what Jesus Christ seated in me. Does that make sense to you guys? So if I step out in faith in something, it's not Andy's faith. It is the faith of the implanted gift of Jesus Christ in me. And God says, oh, wait a second. That is the overcoming power of Jesus. I'm going to respond to that. So what happens is that when we come together, 2, 3, 4, 40, 400, 4,000, 40,000, there is a combustible effect, and that is why we have to live in community. That's why Wednesday nights are important. That's why small groups are important. Because you're not getting that type of community. All right. There you are. I don't even see you. You're, you're like six foot eight, and I don't even see you. So, Joe, uh, you go, my boy. We got a small group of men that meet at Rayo's. And we just about lit Rayo's on fire last Wednesday night. Because Joe begins to kick off into a testimony. <laughs> I'm going into next week's message. I don't care. Joe begins to kick off into a testimony. I, I made a mistake of telling Joe something that this, this crazy church in Bethel, uh, called Bethel in Redding, California, do. They do this thing called treasure hunting, where they just say, God, show us somebody, give us a face, give us like a place, and we're just going to be crazy enough to go out and look for those people. And 
because the Holy Spirit's doing it, it never comes up short. I know that sounds just stupid and crazy, but it just works because the Holy Spirit's not obedient to you. He just really wants to love people. And so Joe's like, I want to do it. I'm like, well, do it, you know. <laughs> He's like, when are we going to do it? I say, you're going to do it. <laughs> and so Joe just missing brain cells just goes and does this. I'm just kidding. Joe's awesome. He's smart, man. He's strong. And on Wednesday, he begins to tell us his testimony. The Lord showed him Target, showed him this lady, showed him the aisle. He goes. He gave him the time. He shows up late. And he's mad because he's like, I'm late. Lord, don't let her leave. And he goes on the aisle. She's not there. He goes to the next aisle. She's there. And he says, hey, this doesn't sound crazy. I want to pray for you. He said, I prayed for the woman, and I was just obedient, and I guess God moved, and I was kind of like, all right, Lord, awesome. I did what you told me to do. And so he walks, and says, I'm going to go buy some shorts. I'm, so good. I'm good so far, right? You can stop me if I'm wrong. And he overhears this lady that works at Target who had a baby, and the baby in the process of the pregnancy, the baby crushed part of her lung, and she has trouble breathing. She can't hardly stand up. So Joe said, look, I don't, I don't mean to eavesdrop. But I did. <laughs> can, can I pray for you? And he prays for this woman. The Holy Spirit comes upon her, and she's just weeping and crying. And God's touching her body, and God's touching her heart. And this other lady that works there and says, walks up and says, are you okay? And, 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 and she's like, yes, yes, I'm okay. God's touching me. And the lady goes, I know. I felt the Holy Spirit here. So this happens, and other things, awesome things happen. You go... Can I go into your aunt? Is that okay? So the next day he goes home uh, see, to his aunt's house where his mom is. And, and, and his aunt has been disabled for a while. She's in a wheelchair. She had hip surgery, right? No, she fell and broke her hip. And, and so uh, Joe and Joe's mom are praying for, it's your, it's your sister, am I correct? Okay, all right, there we go. And so they're praying for, for her, and, and, and they're tackling the, the, this, this woman, and, and they're saying, look, look, Mom, you get the hip, I'll get the feet. There's something wrong with the feet, Joe's aunt's feet, too. And she has neuropathy in her feet. And all of a sudden, Joe's like, hey, will you, will you stand up? And she stands up. She says, well, look, look, I don't feel any pain, but there's just like a dullness, a tightness. He said, well, look, come on, let's keep praying. And all of a sudden, the Lord touches this woman's body, and she gets up and does something she hasn't done in a really long time. She begins to walk. So I'm telling you all this. Yeah, that's exciting. Come on. We need, to, we need to cheer the right things, okay? So I'm telling you all this because at our small group at Rayo's, I'm like, okay, guys, come on. Let's share. And Joe's like, okay. Boom. Slaps his hands down on the table. This is what God did this week. And then all of a sudden, my boy Hugo over there begins to share what God's doing in his life. And God is radically shaping his life and doing awesome things in his life. And there's this combustible effect of what God has designed. And Paul here says, you've got to live in this. Because if you try to use the grace gift that Jesus Christ gave you and seated in you, and you try to nurture that someplace else, it's going to fall apart. But when you nurture it, in the body of Christ, what happens is it grows. All right. And then finally, he says this. You need to know the incomparably great power for us who believe. We have to walk in the understanding 
of this, that no matter what we feel is coming against us, that there is nothing greater than the one who is in us. And so that revelation brings us into a steadfastness of righteousness. All right. All right. So let's get into this because today all I want to tackle is the hope that you've been called to. Okay. (laughs) You're like, what? (laughs) All right. It's 1136. Don't worry. Some of you are worried about my pants. Everybody came up to me. I probably heard about, I don't know, six people say, you tucked in your shirt. What's wrong? (laughs) Here's the deal. I'm going to be honest with you guys because this is just what happens. Part of the correction the Lord had to give me was this, is saying, son, you're wearing pants that are too tight. I had to bump up a size. So thank you, Jesus, for 36s, all right? Here's the truth is that my mama always bought me husky pants when I was a kid, and that's just the prophetic thing that stuck with me all these years. I'm still wearing husky, so praise the Lord for that. And so I figured I better tuck in my shirt before I just look. Anyways, all right. Let's go. Let's go. All right. So here's the thing. I want to just I want to bring this bring this out real quick. So this is why the calling of Christ Jesus in us is so important. Because this word calling means two things. It means this. It means hope and feast. Okay? Hope and feast. So this this calling that Paul prays in Ephesians 1, this word calling means this. It is the hope that is perpetually in front of us. It's not that it's never realized. It is continually realized. So this hope is not hope as the world gives. This hope is a hope that wakes us up in the morning with joy. So your calling should bring joy to your life. But listen to this. It's a combined word that means this, a feast. That you are always feasting on the goodness of God. Your calling should always bring you into the understanding that you are always feasting on the goodness of God. And a calling does two things. A calling is is put inside of us. God has done this. Jesus has done this and given this gift, these gifts to us in the way of a calling. We'll talk about what that looks like in a second. And it goes two directions. It comes in us, but it has to go out of us. See, our calling is not just to reassure us. That is one of the things that God wants to do inside the hope of the calling that he's given us is that he wants to reassure us. He wants to say, you're mine, you're marked, I love you. I set a purpose in front of you. Well done. Some of us, that's so significant and so important because you've heard nothing good in your life. You are dealing with self-rejection and self-doubt and a magnitude that's unexplainable. And part of what the, the hope of your calling does is it puts you in a proper identity that you are a beloved son or daughter of God. But that's one direction. The other direction, it has to come out of you. Now listen to this. In Philippians 3, verse 12 and 14, it says this. This is Paul again speaking. He says, Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which, Jesus, which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. God called Paul to reach Gentiles, a group of people that 
in the understanding of things at the appropriate time. They had no fit into what we call Christianity, the emerging uh, a move of God that was Christianity. I know that's a mouthful, but I want you to understand something. Every one of you need to thank Jesus for the gift of God in Paul. Because unless there's a Jew here that I don't know about, you're a Gentile. And the revelation that Paul said here, he said, look, I know that there's a lot of things that disqualify me. But what I realized in this calling that God had called me in is that it sets me free from those things. But in order to continue to walk in this revelation, I've got to keep pushing forward. I've got to keep pushing forward. I've got to keep moving forward. And this is one of the reasons why, why Jesus Christ has seated a gift inside of you in the way of a hope and a calling is because it keeps you moving forward. And for some of you this morning, what I want to say to you is this. You may understand the thing that God has called you to, but you have been fearful. You've been stagnant. You, you've just been stuck because there's something that's keeping you in that place. It is time to move forward. So let's talk about this for just a second. I want to talk about what it means to move into our calling. And I want to look at three people really quick in the Bible, Abraham, Moses, and Gideon. And I want to talk about the things that they had to overcome. And this, these things, I believe, are true for every one of us to walk in the calling that God has called us in. I don't ever like to phrase things like this, but I want you to understand something. The enemy understands this, that if this prayer that Paul prayed, this truth, if the Holy Spirit will birth this in, in us as a body, that there is going to be uh, irrevocable damage that we will do against the kingdom of darkness. So he understands he can't stop you. He can't, he's not greater than the authority of Jesus Christ in you. So there's little lies that he tries to place in the way of traps to get you stuck. So here's what we see from these three guys in the way of their calling, is that they each had to hurdle something when God called them. And every one of us, I believe, we have to hurdle the same things. So Abraham, let's look at Abraham. This is really, I love this. Because God had to move Abraham past his natural sight. So when God calls us, the first thing that we're going to face is just the understanding that it is going to be bigger than what you see. God is going to always call you into something bigger than what you can see. And so there is going to be a justification process that you're going to try to rationalize. And you're going to say, look, um, God, I, I, I think I can do this part, but this part looks a little bit bigger. I don't know how this is going to happen. And all of a sudden, you're in a negotiation with the Holy Spirit to say how much you're going to carry and how much he's going to carry. And this is what, this is what, Abraham had to face. In Genesis 12, 1 and 2, God begins to speak and, and unfold a covenant with Abraham. Can, did we have that up on the screen? It says this, The Lord has said to Abram, Go from the country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And so the first thing that Abram had to look past his natural senses is this. I had to get out of my comfort zone. Because Abram, Abram, before he was Abraham, was settled in the land. And we know something from this. We know this. It was comfortable. And listen, I want to tell you something. If I could just speak a little bit prophetically into this area, okay? In gentleness and love. 
All right, be careful. Is that a lot of times our traditions, if they're not lined up with what the Holy Spirit is saying, will restrict us. And we will grow comfortable and try to establish the will of God in a place of comfort, even though he is leading us somewhere else. And this happened to Abraham. And God said, listen, I know that your father and your grandfather, that they all dwelt here, that this is a place of comfort for you, but I want to do something new in you. I'm going to create a covenant with you. And part of this covenant means this, is I'm going to make you a father of a nation. Now, okay, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But in order to do that, you have to go. You have to go. You have to get up and you have to move. And so when God calls us, he is always going to exceed our ability. And he does it for a reason, because he wants us to be both reliant upon the Holy Spirit, and it must testify of Jesus Christ. It can't testify of Andy Sink. It can't be Andy Sink's wisdom and Andy Sink's power. It has to be the Holy Spirit. So we got to go. we got to stretch past our comfort zones, past what we naturally see. And so we see that this conversation with, with God and Abraham, it goes on for a few chapters here in Genesis. And God has to confirm things again and again to Abraham because part of the promise of making him a great nation is that he has to have a child. And we know the story. What happens is that Abraham, this is Abraham 75 at, at Genesis 12, but he doesn't have Isaac until He's 99 years old, 100 years old. And so there's 25 years that pass where this promise and this covenant, even though God covenant with Abraham and Abraham went, but he, Abraham constantly lived in this struggle of saying, God, I hear you and I understand, but what I see in my natural eyes is too big. How are you going to do it? And at certain points, God said, Abraham, get out of your tent and look up to the sky. What do you see? Stars, millions of stars. He gets so be it, so it will be with the nation that I'm putting under you. And then he goes and he begins to prophesy to Abraham and say, Abraham, I'm, I'm calling you into a nation. And, and now listen to this. Oh, man, I love this. Oh, I love this, guys. I don't know if you guys know this, but when God speaks to Abram about the, the nation that's coming out of him before he has Isaac, he says there's going to be a day that comes when the people that come from you are going to go into captivity for 400 years. You know what he's speaking about? He's speaking about the time when Israel was under captivity of Egypt. But he says to Abram, he says, Abram, there is going to be a deliverer. Oh, ho, 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 ho. See, so here's what I want to tell you is this. There's a reason to look past your natural, the natural things. Moms, there's a reason to look past your natural things. Dads, there's a reason to look past your natural ability when it comes to the calling. Because your calling isn't just for you. It's bringing a legacy to a generation. Man. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Oh, some of you see things and you say, God, I don't know how you're going to restore. I don't know how you're going to build. I don't know how you're going to do it. And I want to tell you, if he says it, Philippians 1.6, he will do it. Hmm. All right. Moses, 
The second thing that has to happen when it comes to being obedient and moving in our calling is this. We have to move past our, our personal limitations. In Exodus 3 and 4, Moses has a conversation with God. It's a burning bush conversation where God says, look, you're about to go back out. You're about to go into Egypt. You're going to speak to Pharaoh. You're going to tell him it's time to let the people go. This is actually what God spoke to Abraham about. All right? This is what Moses says in Exodus 4. He goes and says, God, not me. I, I stammer. I stutter. Don't, don't, don't use me. Don't use me. Okay. So I want to tell you all something. <clears throat> Let's stop and just. So when I was, um, uh, I don't even remember how old I was. I was little. I was in elementary school. And uh, this is before they were nice to kids in school, like teachers. <laughs> and uh, I had a speech impediment. I couldn't say my SHs and my CHs. I know I've told this story before, but I couldn't say shoes. I would say shoes. I mean, it was bad. Y'all can laugh. Don't, don't, don't feel bad. And, and like, I would say that. And I couldn't say church. Oh, that's a terrible thing for a pastor. Like, that's the word you need to say. And I couldn't say it. And so they would call me out of class. Like, we, my whole class would be there and be like, hey, they over the intercom. We, we need Andy, Andy Sink to come to the special ed class. And I'd have to get up and go. And I mean, I'm not joking. It did. And, it, and it put this stigma inside of me. And I had a fear of reading out loud. I had a fear of public speaking. I had a fear of this. So I want to fast forward to something. Because the Lord... The Lord delivered me from that. Not only did I, the Lord blessed me with speech therapists, and I thank you. Look, if you're a speech therapist, there's some in our church, thank you. You're doing a good thing. The Lord's going to bless you. I'm being serious. So when I, I dealt with this bout of anxiety, and, and I'm overcoming it, okay, and it's a process, Jesus is overcoming it in me. And I dealt with the things in my physical body that I talked about. I'm not going down that road again. The first lie that the enemy brought was, uh, I'm going to cut your future out. And I dealt with that. I said, oh, that's, that's really, at the end of the day, that's a win for me. You know, bottom line. <laughs> be absent from this world is to be present with the Lord. You know, so like that, that lie had limited effect. But then when he started to just nab what was happening up here, It struck me. It said, look, because it's not the fear of wiping out my future. It's the fear of wiping out my calling. And Kim and I had these conversations. I said, babe, what if I can't do this anymore? What if every time I get up to do what I know God has called me to do, this happens? She said, it won't. It won't. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for my wife. Because that lie hit me. It hit Moses. Because anything that you will do will move past you. This is what God, I want you to hear. Uh, listen, some of you who say, look, I'm too dumb. I can't do this. I can't do what God's called me to do. I don't have enough education. <laughs> I don't have enough this or that. I don't have enough. Listen, I, 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 I want you to hear this. This is what God says. Listen, listen, just be quiet and listen. In Exodus 4, 11 and 12, it says, The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouth? Moses. Who makes them deaf or mute? Moses. Who gives them sight 
and makes them blind. Moses, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak, and you will teach, and you will do what I say. God spoke this. And this is the thing that we have to understand when he calls us. It's this. Is that there is not enough ability in you, nor is the weakness in you enough to stop you. Because if God speaks it, it is he who will perform it. If he says you're going to say it, it will be his words opening your mouth, his courage filling your heart. His grace flowing through you. If he says you're going to stand before kings and presidents, it doesn't matter if there is a PhD, an MD, a whatever D behind your name. He will do it. He has to move past our personal limitations. And in order for that to happen, what has to take place is this, is that we have to submit those things to him. We do. And I want you to hear this in all grace and all mercy, that sometimes in our weaknesses we have two options. We're either going to use those and, and kind of huddle around those things and say, look, these are the things that you know, I'm comfortable with and, 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 and these are the reasons why. And they're legitimate and they feel legitimate. But if they contradict what God has spoken, called you to, then you have to sacrifice them at the cross. And you have to say, God, listen, it's, it's what you're saying. And I'm going to choose to trust your power. The third person is Gideon. And this is the lesson here is that we have to move past the fear of man. We have to move past the fear of man. Your calling is going to put you in front of people to say things that it's going to take courage to do. It's going to take courage to go and start things that God's calling you to start, to do businesses that God's calling you to do, to teach in places, to teach in a public school. It's going to take courage to be the prophetic mom or dad that you've been called to be, the, pro the prophetic person in the workplace. It's going to take courage to lay hands on people, to go and be obedient. It's going to take courage. And the thing that the enemy is going to do is going to try to lock you in to say, if you do that, you're going to look like a fool. This is what happened to Gideon. God spoke to Gideon. And this is what Gideon said in Judges 6, 15 and 16. He says, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manassas, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leave, leaving none alive. This is what Gideon had to face, is he had to hurdle the fear of man. And it took Gideon a couple different things in order to do this. And God was faithful. And God is faithful and gracious in our situations. He's gracious in our weakness. He's also gracious when it comes to the fear of man. What you have to understand is that God is going to be unrelenting to continue to push you in. And if you're in the place where the only thing that's stopping you is the fear of man, what I'm going to look like if I try something. Because here's the thing, and I know I'm speaking to a few people here this morning is that there have been people here that have started something, tried something, and it failed. And they said, oh, they got burnt. And then they did it again. They got burnt again. And some people said some things. They said, oh, why are you doing this? Why, why do you keep doing these things? And they don't work. And I want to tell you something. The gift of God in you is still there. And it's time to have courage and move past that place of fear, the fear of man, to say, God, I'm going to step in and I'm going to be obedient. 
And I'm not doing this because of what people are going to say. I'm doing this in accordance to what you're saying and who you are. These three things, okay? So we see these three things. Now I want to wrap this up. Justin, come on up, man. So how do we define our calling, okay? I want to talk about this specifically to say, okay, how do, we, how do we sense and know? You say, well, that's good, Pastor, but I want to know, like, what my calling is. And um, I just want to give you a couple of pointers to look for in your life to, to, to think on. And if you're taking notes anywhere, just this is maybe a good place to do this. So your calling is going to tie you into the supernatural power of God. It's going to release us from our ability. We talked a lot about that already. But is there something, this is a question you might want to ask yourself, is there something in me that I feel called to that only God can do? Is there something in my life that I know that I'm called to, but unless God does it, it's not going to happen? Because that's the key to what God has called you to do. My wife and I have this conversation all the time. She, uh, she wants to put shoes on kids. I'm like, babe, bust the Toms 2.0. If you don't know what Toms is, don't worry about it. Google it. I'm like, do it. Do it. I don't know if I can. I don't, I don't know if, I don't know how. I don't know. I want to tell you something. Even as I speak this, I speak this to her again fresh, is this. That's a good indication to know what God's calling you to do. That's crazy, pastor. That doesn't make any sense. That's not rational thinking. That's not safe thinking. Mm. It's not safe to move into a land that you don't know and to keep telling your wife that you're going to have a child when you're 100 years old. It's not safe to go back to the greatest empire that exists on the earth and the leader that hates you after you killed one of theirs, after 40 years, and go up to his face and say, you're going to let these people who are your free labor go. It's not safe. It's not safe to get out of the wine press and whittle down to just a few hundred men and face a hoarding army that is going to destroy and take everything that you love and possess because God shows up and says you're going to do it. It's not safe. But you don't serve, this is going to offend some of you, but get used to it. You don't serve a safe God. You serve a God that asks you to forgive when you're facing some of the greatest pain of your life. You serve a God who asks you to trust him for reconciliation when, when, when things are broken. You serve a God that says, lean into my healing, even though everything says it's not going to happen. You serve a God who says, I have come to defeat the impossible. In me, nothing is impossible. Amen. And so that thing in your life that you say, God, unless you do it, it ain't going to happen. You need to pay attention to it. You need to write it down. You need to think about it. You need to find somebody as crazy as you and talk to them about it. That's really why I like my men's group on Wednesday, because I just think they're as crazy as me. Sorry, guys. Your calling is going to stretch you into faith. Faith is going to be the primary muscle that you're going to have to exercise. If you're not walking in faith in little areas, you need to begin to walk in faith because that's the muscle that God's going to exercise to bring you into your calling. 
It's going to require, your calling is going to require you to trust God. To trust God. Your calling is going to unlock doors of creativity. Doors of creativity. I think sometimes we don't think about this enough, that we think about God in black and white too much. Like, we just think, you know, hey, you're holy, we're here, we love you, we serve you, it's this direction. But we forget that He is creator. And as creator, He's creative. And as those who have been created in His image, we're creative. And one of the things that God loves to do is to create through us. And so your calling is going to be creative. Here's what I mean by this. It's time for the church to dream again. That if we're going to come back to this prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, of this incomparably great power that exists in the body, in those who are called to God, that beautiful synergy, then we've got to understand something. And I, I want to just shoot this over across this, you guys, is that there are solutions to things in this auditorium. Answers that have gone unanswered. Questions that have gone unanswered. Problems that people face that they don't understand. There are even inventions that need to be invented. There are things that need to be done. New ways of doing things. New ways of teaching. New ways of leading. That God is saying it's time because it's a reflection of my creativity. What answer is God trying to answer in me that unlocks the creativity of heaven? As I begin to dream with God and begin to think about these things, how do I see the creativity of heaven in me? I love talking to my kids about this. <laughs> uh, okay. This is a little funny thing real quick. I get like, I've had creative little ideas my whole life. Like these dumb little things. Like a long time ago, this is like I'm 40, yeah. I was like, when, I was telling Kim, when I was a little guy, I was like, they need to create little crackers that are the shapes of ducks and call them quackers. Somebody created quackers. I'm like, they need a, they need, this is, this is a long time ago, this is, but this, all this has happened. They need a, a lighted toilet seat. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right? Okay. I'm like, come on. Right? Silly things. Y'all laugh a little bit. Come on. <laughs> Here's the thing. I want to tell you something. Listen, these, these things, they're, they're, they're brewing in each one of you. And I'm not talking about silly, goofy things, but what I'm talking about are real solutions and things. But it's the expression of the creativity of heaven, and you need to pay attention to it. Because you can't say God is good and deny his creativity. Because if you've ever gone to a beautiful beach in Cozumel, you know he is both good and creative. If you've ever seen the majestic mountain or, this, or the sky at night in a beautiful open plain, you know he is both good and creative. And if he is good, he is creative. And if he has created you, then you are creative. Oh. I want to tell you something else. Okay, look, I'm just, all right, 12.03. Brad, you're supposed to go, ah, oh, cut, cut it off. 
Justin's fingers are hurting. It's just all bad. All right. Nah. Okay, we're done. That was good. All right. God is good. He is good. He is good. He is so good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, tell me, tell me your name again. I'm sorry. What's your name? Mitris. All right, Mitris. When we were when we were singing in worship, the Lord showed me something about you. He said this that that in you you felt like a closed up clam. That you felt that there were some things that in the past that you've been told are worthless, are no good. But what the Holy Spirit is saying is this, is that He is refining that and that, that He's breaking that lie off of you and that there is a diamond inside of you and that there are things that the Lord is going to use and open up your mouth in a way that you're not even going to believe that are going to come out with authority and they're going to come out with power and they're going to be transformational. And I saw God lifting up your head and your countenance and He's bringing you up. He's bringing you up. He's removing that heaviness. He's removing that burden off of you. It's being broken off of you because you are not your past. You are what God is saying about you in the future and what God says about you. You are a beautiful daughter. The things that he has put in you are important and need to be heard. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Here you go. Um, I've been watching this show on uh, Amazon Prime. You know who the All Blacks are? Rugby team? Okay. My friend Kristen, when we went to New Zealand, we saw a game on TV. I watched somebody's ear get ripped off. It was awesome. And um, I was watching because they do this thing called a haka. You seen it? Right? And uh, and so I've seen it before, and I know Kristen talked about one. And so I, I Googled it. I'm like, that's just so, so intimidating and awesome, you know. And a haka does two things. A haka brings reverence and a haka brings fear. Brings reverence to the one in authority and it brings fear to the enemy. And the Lord showed me you doing a haka. And Hugo, I see you doing a haka. And I see your little kids behind you and your wife behind you. You're doing a haka. And what you're doing is this, Hugo, is that you are saying, God, in this place, in this territory that is, 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 un, is just beat up and banged up wherever you go, that God, the presence of God is coming and the enemy is scattering. And God is putting that in you, that authority in you. And in you, Robin. And in you, Robin. And in your children. I saw because they get into a triangle form. There's one guy at the front, the captain's at the front, and then you got all the guys behind it. And Hugo, I saw you, and I saw your family behind you, and you were doing the haka, and you were marching. And the place that you were marching, God was releasing his authority and driving out the enemy. 
Hey, Mom, I'm sorry. You don't want, you probably like, shut up. I was actually in the shower this morning and I felt like the Lord spoke to me about you. It's weird, huh? This kid was like, hurry up. I'm like, Charlotte? I'm just kidding. I felt like the Lord told me this. You're about to have a birthday. You'll be 45. I remember when you turned 40. First Baptist Groves. The Lord just spoke to me and said, the next 20 years of your life, God is going to repro- God is going to remove the pain of the last. That there is a grace on you. There is a grace on you to set people free. I don't know why I feel like kicking this chair over. It's funny. (laughs) Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Devil's a liar. Oh, man. Okay, okay. We're done. 